Good evening. Uh, the scripture before John's lesson tonight comes from the book of Titus, the first chapter, uh, verses 10 and 11. If you're using the Red Pewback Bible, uh, that can be found on page 998. Titus 1, verses 10 and 11. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. Go ahead, if you haven't already done so, and open your Bible to Titus chapter 1. The lesson will come from verses 10 through 16 this evening. Titus 1, verses 10 through 16. We are preaching our way through the book of Titus on Sunday nights. If you haven't been with us, we're really glad that you're here this evening. In Titus chapter 1, the book deals with living up to your faith in the church. And as we talked about last week, the qualifications of elders are the first thing that Paul talks about in Titus chapter 1. And we're going to see the reason why elders needed to be installed tonight in our study. In Titus chapter 2, the Bible talks about living up to your faith in the home. How every group in the church, regardless of age, all of us need biblical healthy teaching from God. And then Titus chapter 3 deals with living up to your faith in the world or in the community. And as we think about what God's Word teaches concerning living up to our faith, let's turn our attention this evening to Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. I want us to begin by noting in verse 10, the first word is for. You see that? That's an important word, for. Elders have just been described in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, and there ought to be in every elder a little bit of mama bear. Don't get between a mama bear and her cubs. And when it comes to being an elder in the Lord's church, don't get between an elder and the people that he's trying to shepherd to the glory of God. Especially, don't be corrupting and don't be challenging the New Testament doctrine, the sound doctrine that elders are charged with making sure that everybody is receiving. Don't get between an elder and the people that he's trying to shepherd. A little bit of mama bear. In every elder, there ought to be a little bit of a surgeon who looks at a patient, a cancer surgeon maybe, who looks at a patient and says, this is going to be difficult, this is going to be painful, but we're going to have to operate. We're going to have to surgically remove this cancer so that you can be healthy, so that you can be whole again. And in every elder, there ought to be a little bit of detective looking at a crime scene, looking at a situation and making observations. What's going on? What's being said? What's being done in the local church? In Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, it begins with the word for. Let's read together. Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Why should we have elders? Here's why, Paul argues. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, 
but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. How intolerant, how narrow-minded, how short-sighted Paul expected these elders and these Christians to be. And yet Paul would say, the matters that we're dealing with, when we're talking about the gospel and we're talking about Jesus Christ and salvation, these are of eternal importance. And every elder ought to be a little bit like a mama bear or a little bit like a surgeon about to do surgery, a little bit like a detective watching, observing details. Why? Because there are problems that need to be dealt with. There are people who need to be confronted and their mouths must be stopped. That's why. I want you to notice there are bookends to this passage as well. Look at verse 9, Titus chapter 1 verse 9, and then look at Titus chapter 2 verse 1. And before we start talking about verses 10 through 16, Titus 1, 9, Titus 2, 1, both of them deal with teaching sound doctrine. Do you see that? Titus 1.9, what should an elder be able to do? He should be able to teach sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict. What should Titus do in his ministry? But as for you, Titus, Titus 2 verse 1, speak the things that are proper, necessary for sound doctrine. The bookends on either end of this section dealing with false teachers is teaching the truth, teaching healthy doctrine. Paul's strategy for dealing with false teaching was twofold. Number one, stop the mouths of the false teachers. And number two, make sure that you are teaching sound, healthy doctrine. Multiply the number of teachers. Multiply the number of people who are going to teach the truth. That was his way of dealing with error. And we'd be wise if we listened to New Testament teaching, New Testament examples. How are we going to handle and deal with false doctrines in our day? by stopping the mouths, by silencing those who would contradict what the gospel teaches, and by teaching what's healthy, what's sound, what's good for people. Let's notice together as we study these false teachers, these people that are causing trouble in the church in the first century, let's talk about first of all tonight their identity. Look at verse 10. Who are they? And it's intentionally vague. Paul doesn't go into great detail in what specifically is being said in Crete, but we get enough of a picture that we can kind of start drawing some applications even from what's said. In the first place, notice their attitude. They are insubordinate. The people that are teaching these false ideas, they will not listen to authority. They will not humble themselves. And especially when it comes to the authority of the gospel and the apostles, these men are not going to humble themselves. They are insubordinate. They're proud. They're arrogant. They think they know better than men like Paul and Titus. Notice their number. There are many of them. Many who are insubordinate. This is a widespread problem in the churches on the island of Crete. Lots of these people in the churches are insubordinate. They're not subjecting themselves to God's word. Notice their actions. They are empty talkers and they are deceivers. I've known in my time some empty talkers. I've known some people that good people, I think they meant well, but a lot of what they had to say was just emptiness. There's not a whole lot of soundness. There's not a whole lot of health there. They might even have been talking about biblical things, Bible-related things, but just not much there, not substance to what they're saying. And there are also occasionally in the Lord's church people who are deceivers, 
who are intentionally trying to mislead others. So who are we watching for? Who are the elders supposed to be watching out for? They're supposed to be watching out for insubordinate people, for people that are empty talkers and deceivers of the body of Christ. And notice their associations. Paul says, especially those, some translations, especially those of the circumcision. My translation, the ESV says, those of the circumcision party. Just hold your finger there in Titus chapter 1 for a moment and turn back to Acts 15 verse 1. Acts chapter 15 verse 1. Who are the circumcision party? Most likely, although this is not definitive, in Acts chapter 15 verse 1, the scripture says, some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Early on in the church's history, there were people that were teaching that we need to add some things to the gospel of Jesus. Jesus and the apostles taught people, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. You'll be saved. Your sins will be taken away, Acts 2 verse 38. But the Judaizers, some of the circumcision party would come along and they'd say, that's good. But then there's other steps that you need to continue to make. You need to be circumcised because that's always been what the people of God did, all the way back to Abraham. And Paul and Barnabas and many others, as you read on in Acts 15, verse 2 and following, with no small dissension, they stood up to this doctrine because you're adding something to the gospel that God never intended. You are changing and twisting and perverting what is right and what is true. And people are going to lose their souls over this. It's serious. People are going to go to hell. They're going to be lost because they believe some of these teachings from some of these people. And so, elders and church generally, identify, pay attention, be watchful of what's happening in a local congregation. Incidentally, this does not say that Titus is supposed to be concerned overly with doctrines that are being taught in faraway places, far away from where Titus is. These are people in the local congregations that are saying these things, that are teaching these things. They're the ones that Paul is saying need to be dealt with by the elderships. Next, notice their influence, verse 11. Why should they be dealt with? Why should elders be concerned about these false teachers, these people that are bringing these false doctrines? First, because of the seriousness of it. They subvert or they upset whole households. One of the things that happens when false teaching starts making inroads into a local congregation is there start to be divisions all over the place. Divisions that are painful, that are difficult. And one of the things that Paul's concerned about is these men are coming into people's houses, they're sitting at their kitchen tables, and they're saying all kinds of ungodly things, and people are buying it, and whole households are being upset. They just quit assembling with the saints or they quit living the Christian life, or they take these ideas and they go back to their friends and they, they stand up on Wednesday night and they give a devotional about these new ideas that they've got from these false teachers. Whole households are being upset or being subverted. This is serious. People are losing their faith over this. Notice the response that Paul counsels. Their mouths must be stopped. They must be silenced. He doesn't say how to do that, by the way. He doesn't say the specific method by which that needs to take place. 
One would presumably think that if someone stood up in a local assembly and began to say some things that were antithetical, that were against the gospel of Jesus, that the elders in that local congregation would say, hold on, we're not going to allow you to finish this lesson. Because this is serious. What you're saying is serious. This agenda you're pushing is serious. People are going to lose their souls over this. But also, one would think that silencing those who are speaking against the gospel has to do with teaching them and answering their arguments in a very biblical way. Jesus did that with the Sadducees. Matthew 22, verse 34. You can look that up for homework tonight. Matthew 22, 34. The scripture says that after Jesus had answered the arguments that the Sadducees had come up with, the Pharisees saw that Jesus had silenced them. Same idea, same concept. How did Jesus silence those Pharisees, those Sadducees? He silenced them by saying very logically, you guys neither understand the scriptures nor the power of God. You need to know both and you don't know either. The response to it, do not allow them to continue to teach, to continue to say these things. I want you to know that Paul, when it came to the local church, Paul was not a pluralist. He did not say, well, they've got some different ideas about some very important Bible things, but you know what? We're just going to live and let live. Paul was not a defeatist either. He didn't wring his hands and say, woe is me. Look at what the church is coming to. Look at what people are saying and look at how widespread this false ideas, these false ideas are. He wasn't a defeatist. And Paul wasn't a secessionist either. His response to these congregations that had all these many insubordinate false teachers was not to say, well, I guess I just got to leave and go start a new congregation somewhere else. He didn't say that either. His response was to multiply teachers, to make sure elders were being established, and to make sure that true, healthy, sound teaching is being given to the churches. We would do well to emulate Paul's example in this even in 2023 AD. As we think about their influence, notice in verse 11, Paul deals with the motives of these false teachers. He says they are greedy for gain. Why are they saying these things? They're greedy for gain. Ostensibly that has to do with money. They're getting some money because of what they're teaching and and what they're saying to people. But you know what? There are other ways of gaining as well. Maybe they, like, maybe they like having something new to say, something that people have never heard before. And people say, wow, you have such insight. You have such depth into things that we haven't heard this before. This is, this is great. Maybe that's their gain. Maybe it's the power and the influence and the circle of friends that they are starting to accumulate. And they're looking at how many people follow them and how many people are, are of their party. Maybe that's the gain that we're talking about as well. I want you to notice that these people are almost the polar opposite of elders. When you look at the qualifications of elders in verses five through nine, elders are not to be greedy for gain, are they? Elders are to be humble and submissive to the word of God rather than insubordinate. And elders are supposed to teach things that are healthy, not things that upset and subvert whole households. It's almost like you've got polar opposites. Who are the elders supposed to deal with and to challenge and to put a stop to in the local church? these people that are teaching things contrary to sound doctrine. As you think about these false teachers in the first century church and false teachers today, notice the character that Paul describes. Look at verse 12. 
We've been talking about this as we studied Titus in the last several lessons. Paul quotes one of their own poets. His name is Epimenides and he lived at about 600 BC. And Epimenides said this. He said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. How intolerant. Well, yeah, but you know, if one of them says it about themselves, it's a little bit easier to swallow. It's a little bit easier to take. And Paul's just making a characterization about the way that the culture is on the island of Crete. It's kind of like if I, as a resident of Texas, if I say Texans are really proud of their state and they want their flag to fly at the same level as a U.S. flag, you know, it, it means something coming from me, but it's a little bit different if I say it than if somebody from New York comes and says it, right? The same idea, one of their Cretans, one of their own prophets, somebody that was of them, of them that's what they said. Let's talk about what this, this man said about the Cretans. He said in the first place, they are liars. Crete was a place that was known for dishonesty. How would you like to grow up in a place like that? Known for lying. As a matter of fact, the Greeks coined a term, kretizo. It's on the screen there. You see the, you see the word Crete at the beginning of that? And the word meant to lie or to cheat. And so if we put it in English, they might say, John is cretinizing. He's lying, he's cheating, he's cretinizing. You cretinizer. They're liars. Not only that, they are evil beasts. Crete was interesting because notoriously, Crete did not have any wild animals of any size or they weren't fearsome, the animals that lived on the island of Crete. They didn't have lions and bears and things like that. And so what Epimenides was saying was, no, it's, it's not that they have lions and bears on Crete, but the people are vicious. They're the evil beasts. The way that they treat others and the way that they handle themselves, that's evil. It's vicious like an animal. And they're lazy gluttons. They serve only themselves. It's all about me. It's all about my needs. It's all about my wants. What I want comes first. What I want is most important. Having things my way is most important. It's what a glutton does. And in their character, these false teachers mirror all this. You know, sometimes all of us who teach, all of us who shepherd the church of God, all of us who are parents, we ought to stop and just ask ourselves. You know, you, you look at that list and you say, well, I'm glad I'm not that way. We ought to just stop and ask ourselves, am I? Just for a moment, master, is it I? Are the things that I'm saying really true? Do I know they're true for a fact? When I teach people from God's word, is what I'm saying really coming from God's word? Am I really giving a thus says the Lord and showing people book, chapter, and verse? This is where I find this principle being taught. Am I telling the truth? In the way I deal with people, am I dealing with them like a wild animal? Vicious, ruthless, heartless? Is that the way I deal with people in my ministry? Is that the way you deal with people in your ministry? Am I like a lazy glutton? Does it always have to be my way? Do I always have to be the one with the recognition and the acclaim? Do I always have to be the one that has things the way I want them? You see, that's the way these false teachers are conducting themselves. And we ought to ask ourselves every once in a while at least, master is it I? Verse 13, therefore rebuke them sharply. 
Question, who does the them refer to? Look at your Bible. Who does the them refer to? Rebuke them sharply so that, Paul says, they may be sound in the faith. Who's he talking about with the them? There are two thoughts. Them could refer to the false teachers. Rebuke these false teachers, these insubordinate people, verse 10. Rebuke them sharply, stop their mouths so that they may be sound in the faith. And that would be the hope. You don't want these people to be lost any more than you want the people that they're teaching to be lost. Rebuke them, Timothy or Titus. Rebuke them, elders, so that they'll be sound in the faith. But the them also could refer to the churches that are being influenced by these false ideas. Rebuke them sharply so that they will know the difference between what's healthy and what's unhealthy, what's sound and what's unsound, what's true and what's false. Rebuke the churches so that they can be sound in the faith. Confrontation is hard to do. It's been my observation in more than 20 years of local work with a congregation, it's been my observation that confrontation is usually the last thing godly elders want to do. And I think that's healthy. However, passages like this one encourage all of us to realize that sometimes confrontation is the gift that nobody wants. It's a gift to the church. It's a gift to God's people. Rebuke them so that they may be sound in the faith. Not giving command, heed to Jewish fables. Again, there's that idea, some kind of Jewish influence in what's being done. This is their character. Rebuke them. And then notice this. Verses 14 through 16 lists three specific errors. Three specific errors that Titus was going to have to confront, was going to have to deal with. Beginning at the end of verse 14, notice. These people are devoted to the commandments of men. It's not about what God says. It's not about the word of God. It's about what they think, what they want. They are teaching traditions and doctrines and commandments that came from men, not from God. And you know, one of the reasons why people do this is because all of us as human beings, we just want a really simple list. We just, just tell me one, two, three, tell me one, two, three, what, what God wants me to do, this, this, and this, and this. And if you just give me that list, I'll just do what's on the list. And won't that be enough? And this has always been the case with God's people, that there's been a temptation to just reduce our relationship with God to just a list of items. And when you start doing that, what happens is, if it's not coming from God's word, you start making things up. They may be good things. They may sound really healthy, but they're the commandments of men. Jesus says of the Pharisees in Mark chapter seven, verses seven and eight, in vain do you worship me, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. You Pharisees, everybody looks at you and thinks that you're holy, but what you're teaching people is not from God, it's actually from your fathers, the traditions that you've handed down. Don't do that. Titus, you're gonna have to deal with some people that are teaching the commandments of men. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 is one of the most troubling verses in all of Titus. It has been horribly perverted over the years to say some things that God never intended to be said. Listen again to what it says in verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure. He's talking about Christians. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. 
What's wrong here? There is a false understanding of purity and where it comes from. To the pure, all things are pure. When I say it's been horribly perverted, there are people, and I have heard lessons in my, in my time, I've heard lessons where people tried to make the argument that it really doesn't matter what Christians do because God has changed us from the inside and everything external has nothing. That's not what's being said here. What Paul is saying is that these teachers have come into the churches and they've made a list from the commandments of men, they've made a list of forbidden items and forbidden practices, probably Jewish. Let me give you an example of what that might look like. I got up this morning and I don't know what you had for breakfast. I had a couple strips of bacon. They were good. I love bacon. Bacon's one of my favorite things to eat for breakfast in the morning. But if I lived in the first century and we had some people from the circumcision party in the local church and I said, I had bacon for breakfast, they might have a problem with that. John, haven't you read Leviticus? Don't you know that these are unclean? Don't you know that if you eat that unclean food that you're gonna be unclean? But God said to Peter in Acts chapter 10, what God has cleansed do not call common anymore. And you see how this can go. Or maybe, maybe I'm a single young man. Maybe I'm a Gentile. And there's a very sweet, very godly Jewish young lady who happens to be a Christian. And I'm interested in this Jewish young lady. And I ask, you know, however they would court, you know, in, in those days, I, I ask her father for permission to court her and things like that. And some of the people of the circumcision party say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've got a Gentile, John. You've got a Jewish young lady. There's no way, no way that that is authorized. No way that that's okay. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, these people that have made this list in their minds of things that are defiled and things that are wrong, they've made this list in their minds. It didn't come from God's word. Not only are their minds corrupted, but their consciences are. They're in trouble. They're not able to make discernment about what's pure. There's a false understanding about purity. And then notice this, what are you gonna have to deal with Titus? You're gonna to have to deal with people that claim to know God, but deny him by their works. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. Specifically, here's what he says, verse 16. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for every good work. This is a verse that every New Testament Christian ought to give serious thought to. Because we have all kinds of religious friends that have not obeyed the gospel, that have not done what God has commanded in his word. And we look at them and we say, but they're living such moral lives. They're living such healthy lives. They're living such, it appears, God-centered, godly lives. They have a form of godliness Paul would say, but they deny its power, 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. I'm not being unkind in saying this. This is exactly what the Bible is saying. They say they know God, but by their works, they deny him. I want you to kind of, in your notes maybe, write down the word works. Works is not just about helping little old ladies across the street, taking food to someone who's sick. Those are good works. But you know what? It's also a good work to obey the gospel, to do what God has commanded. That's a good work too. 
and you ask somebody, well, why haven't you obeyed the gospel? Why haven't you repented of your sin and been baptized for the remission of your sins? Why haven't you done those things? Well, I don't, my church doesn't teach that we have to do that. You profess to know God, but by our works, we deny him. And notice, because we as human beings, we're looking at people and we're saying they they look moral. They look like they've got God's interest at heart. They look like things are on the right path in their lives. We look at them and we say those things. And so that's why those three terms at the very end of the verse in verse 16, look again. That's why those are there because we need to see it from God's point of view. What does God say? about people who refuse to obey his word? What does he say about people who are insubordinate or people who are upsetting whole households or people who are constantly deceiving? What does he say? They may look moral outwardly, but they are detestable. That means reprehensible. That means it's kind of like the way we would feel about a cockroach. Don't want anything to do with it. God's saying detestable. They are disobedient. They deny him by their works. And for every good work, they are unfit. They are reprobate. In other words, they may do some things that are good, but ultimately they have no relationship with God that is meaningful. Why talk about this? Why bring this up? Because there were so many people like this in the churches on Crete. And we would be arrogant in the extreme to say that there are never times in our experience, there are never times in our day when these same kinds of principles are not seen in churches that we are familiar with. How arrogant are we to say, well, we all see things the same way and we all, there's no danger. There's nothing. Elders need to be like mama bears protecting our cubs. They need to be like surgeons looking for problems, cancers that need to be cut out of the church. Elders need to be like detectives. Not always suspicious, but still not unwise as they evaluate what's happening in the local congregation. Teach, sound doctrine, healthy teaching. Is the teaching that you hear from God's word regularly, is it healthy, is it sound? Does it build people up? Does it give reference and and authenticity from God's word? Is it that kind of teaching? That's what God would have every church to be fed with. Maybe you're here tonight, you're not a New Testament Christian. If we can help you to obey the gospel, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, Acts 2 verse 38. That's how someone becomes a Christian. If you're ready to do that this evening, or if you would like to respond and ask for prayers, whatever your need is, won't you come tonight while together we stand and while we sing.